20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Pack a Day Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dan Kotick. My partner, as always, Chris Schimmel, doing our best to survive the polar vortex of 2019. Chris, how are you handling the weather that I'm sure a, a vast majority of our listeners are trying to weather, uh, to forgive the pun there? <laughs> well, I woke up early to make sure my car worked before uh-huh. I got work this morning. It just barely worked, and the brakes were frozen. <laughs> so that took forever to get things going. So I heat up the car because I was like, I started going and then I realized my brakes were frozen, but luckily there was a small snowbank that I kind of crashed into and that stopped me before I hit something serious. But yeah, today it was so cold that I read an article people, experts were saying, do not breathe in too hard because it could burn your lungs. And they, like, geez, winter is coming. Game of Thrones was not lying. <laughs> right. No, exactly. Um, thankfully, I thought ahead and I'm taking a vacation day tomorrow, so I won't have to deal with the the second day of it. But yeah, surviving today was a little bit uh, a little bit rough. Um, so, however you're listening to us, hopefully you're staying warm. Uh, if you're listening to us from somewhere that's not affected by the polar vortex, I give you a very hearty screw you and uh, welcome <laughs> to the podcast, regardless. Uh, so today uh, we want to talk about uh, we're, we're going to hit on the Super Bowl a little bit. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about with that. Not anything really Packers related, but when the Super Bowl comes around, no matter who you root for in the NFL, you kind of have to make a mention of it. I think before we get into that, before we get into that stuff, though, Chris, uh, kind of two main things to the Packers news-wise that have come down in the last day or so. Uh, with the coaching-wise, Matt LaFleur trying to fill out his coaching staff. The confirmed one is the new wide receivers coach, Alvis Witted, as I hope is how you say that. Um, the wide receivers coach from Colorado State, he was there for seven years. The program at Colorado State, not the best, but they were averaging over 300 passing yards last season, so... He's a guy that uh, he has NFL experience. I think I saw nine seasons in the NFL as a wide receiver. Uh, he seems like a guy that is at least forward thinking with the passing game. And honestly, uh, Chris, I don't know what you think about this. He could probably be one of the more uh, crucial hires for this coaching staff because that was kind of one of the things last year was that butting of heads between the old wide receivers coach and Aaron Rodgers uh, in that passing game. and a lot of people kind of pointed to that as a, as an issue. So Alvis Witted could be one of the bigger hires uh, in this off season. Oh yeah, definitely. You take a look at some of the, the studs that he's been able to coach up in college. You know, you take a look at uh, three all Americans. I saw that he coached in college. You have uh, what is it? Michael Gallup. And I take a look at some of his numbers. You know, you take a look at in the last two years, 2,690 yards, 21 touchdowns. Then uh, Richard Higgins, uh, you know, over 3,500 yards, 31 touchdowns. So, you know, three All-American studs. But, yeah, it's really big for the wide receivers coach because I feel that uh, it's been a, a touchy topic for a while. I mean, you had in, what was it, 2015, Alex Van Pelt was both the quarterback's coach and the wide receivers coach. They tried mm-hmm. that out. That didn't work. 
you know, then they got Luke Getze, who's now back. And then they, uh, Edgar Bennett was gone. So, yeah, this is a huge crucial position. And it's going to be even more with these receivers having to get on page with Aaron Rodgers, especially during the scramble drill. And really, with Randall Cobb leaves too, they're going to need leadership from a guy who's had a lot of NFL experience. Even though uh, Alice Witted didn't have a huge stellar career, his experience, and especially what he's done at Colorado State, should help out a lot, I think. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, he's a guy that has experience coaching younger players. And you've got a wide receiver core that, you know, most of those guys are two, three years out of college. So, you know, they're basically just kind of trying to take the next step right now. And now you've got a guy that, you know, has experience with some of these younger players and hopefully can ease that transition a little bit. A couple of interesting notes about uh, Alvis Wooded. You mentioned went to NC State, was actually a state championship sprinter as well, and competed in the Olympic sprinting trials against guys like Michael Johnson and Carl Lewis uh, back in the 90s. And then also, I saw this on Twitter today, I forget who, uh, who tweeted it out, one of the Packer accounts, Alvis Witted actually had one reception for the Oakland Raiders in the uh, famous Brett Favre game on Monday Night Football the day after, or the the game that was after uh, uh, his dad passed away. Alvis Witted played in that game against the Packers. I think he had one catch for eight yards. It was a little slant across the middle, and that was it. But uh, just some interesting notes for Alvis. Yeah, and then right after that catch, people thought, you know, someday that guy's going to coach the Packers wide receivers. Someday that someday that guy's going to be the linchpin of uh, <laughs> one of the most impressive quarterback offenses in the history of the NFL. Right, and I like what you said about him. You know, he's had experience in the pros. What he's done in college is good. I like that, you know, a hybrid coach, a guy – who knows both the egos of the pros and then maturing young players and developing them. And I love the fact that you just talked about him as a track star because, you know, you take a look at guys like Valdez Scanling, a guy who has a motor on him. Imagine him with this guy teaching him how to take more advantage of his speed. So I think so far everything, all the hires so far I've, I've really liked. I haven't really seen anything that's a red flag at all. If anything, this, this, this one is, uh, I have to admit it surprised me. Cause you're like this guy, Colorado state, what? But then also you look into it and you say, Oh, wow. It's been, it's been a coaching staff that's filled out with a lot of, I think I, um, somebody wrote this. They said, um, lacking in age, but, uh, you know, full of potential and experience that, you know, can really, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of potential with, with a lot of these younger coaches that are coming, or I shouldn't say younger, but guys, uh, guys that haven't had as much NFL experience. You know, it's funny that you say that because I was talking with the, my, my cousin and she's a huge sports fan, but she says some stuff that just makes me, just makes me laugh. She said, you know how in order to be president, you have to be at least 35 years old. Well, there should be an age limit on how old you have to be a head coach in the NFL. Matt LaFleur, he's 39. He's too young. I'm like, you know, Sean McVay is like 32. She goes, that's too young. There should be an age limit. <laughs> like, come on. I know, understand if you want to be president, you have to be 35. But an age limit for being a head coach of a football team? I think, if anything, you should make an age limit for 
when you hit a certain age, you don't get to be a head coach anymore. Because there's some of those guys that stick around for years and years and years way after they deserve to really be in the league anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, I like this young blood coming in, you know, get something fresh instead of something that's stale. Well, and so, I mean, it leaves the one position still open on this coaching staff is the special teams uh, coordinator. And uh, that position actually could be filled very soon as um, Tom Silverstein is reporting that the Packers are focusing their uh, position on Sean Meninga. He's currently the Vanderbilt special teams coordinator. He was um, an assistant special teams coach with Cleveland seven years before that. And actually uh, before the Hugh Jackson era kind of got started, his special teams ranking very high didn't rank below 15, was even ranked second uh, in 2012 and has some familiarity with the current team, coached alongside Mike Pettin, obviously, and uh, worked with Traymond Williams as well. So interested to see how that kind of progresses, but really outside of special teams now, that's the only open position left. And you could call that one too, Chris, like, maybe the third most important one or one that people are looking at the most in this off season, you had offensive coordinator, special teams, and then you could maybe throw in this wide receivers coach just because it kind of plays into the whole uh, passing game of the offense as well. But special teams coordinator with Ron Zook, the last couple of, and can we real quick, can we talk about how the hell Ron Zook was coaching the special teams of the NFC pro bowl team? You know, I, I, I seriously don't. That just shows you, once again, Pro Bowl is so stupid. I mean, seriously. <laughs> I don't understand what he's done, how much money he had to pay to get on the field. I mean, I, mean, I hope nobody paid for his plane ticket. I mean, come on. And the fact that that guy was still coaching at the end of the season. Yeah. It's crazy, you know. Like, I think I said in a previous podcast, Abdullah and I were having a bet of who's going to get fired first, McCarthy or him. And my money was on him, so I lost. <laughs> so yeah. so I like that you brought up, uh, you know, Sean, that guy, because you're saying, you know, how they ranked second in special teams during a year. Hell, if they ranked 20th, that would have been so much better than what yeah. we've had. The Packers, yeah. even, without, even without Zook, this whole decade, I feel they haven't been that good at all. You know, if I was a special teams coach, I would say to Mason Crosby, Mason, you don't even need to come talk to me and ask me what to do. Kick the ball out of the end zone every single time unless it's an obvious onside, okay, because nothing really works. You know what I mean? Wood kicks and all that. So hopefully this guy, if they get him, comes in and really shakes things up. Once again, you know, people think Vanderbilt, same thing like with Colorado State, like Vanderbilt, but, hey, anything is better than what we've had the last couple of years. Exactly. So – that's uh, where we're at Packer-wise. Um, one more game left in this 2018-2019 season, Chris. It doesn't involve the Packers, but it does involve all of us as NFL fans. And I thought it would be fun uh, for you and I to go through some of the Pro Bowl – or excuse me, the Super Bowl <laughs> uh, prop bets. Uh, obviously for entertainment purposes only, but – if you're, you know, trying to make a buck or two against somebody that you're watching the game with on on Sunday to say, you know, how long the national anthem is going to run or, you know, whatever, 
we'll uh we'll we'll give you some tips here. So I mean, well, the first one, Chris, is just the overall uh spread. Um, the stuff that I found was giving the New England Patriots two points going into the Super Bowl with an over under total of fifty eight. Where do you fall on, on the spread? I would actually have to agree with you. I feel that as long as Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are on the field together, they should be favored in every single game they ever play, including preseason. Like every game, like there's especially after the Super Bowl against Atlanta, you cannot bet against them. I find it absolutely crazy. So unfortunately, I mean, yes, I'm cheering for the Rams, right? But just saying, if if I had to bet my life, I would of course bet on the Patriots. So I have uh, the Patriots. You know, two points you say is pretty pretty good. I would say anything around there. Any, I think it's going to be a close game because if you think about it, every time the Patriots are in a Super Bowl this century, it's been a good game, and it's always been a one-possession game. So I think it's going to be between three and seven points. Yeah, I think I saw they haven't uh, they haven't blown anybody. They haven't won by more than two scores, I think. Yeah, and they've never lost by more than two scores either. Yeah, yeah. so, so I mean – Right, always a great game, and I mean, really, two points—that's that's almost a pick'em game at that point. Um, you know, I, I would probably, I would agree. The Patriots have to be favored in this game. Um, let's go to national anthem. Gladys Knight is singing the national anthem. The length over under one hundred and seven seconds. That's a minute forty-seven. Over under the length of Gladys Knight's national anthem. Over. You're over? Over. When you ask that, me why, I don't know why. I'm just going over. <laughs> that is, I mean, that's that's where the smart money is. I did a little bit of uh, research into it. Billy Joel actually has the uh, shortest anthem time with a minute 30, and Alicia Keys has the longest with 2.35. And since wow. um, Super Bowl forty, only two people have sung the national anthem under a minute 45. So the smart money there would be to go over with Gladys Knight, especially on a Motown singer that can really hold out a note um, like <laughs> Gladys Knight can. Right. So some of the broadcasting prop bets. These are some of my most favorite ones. Will CBS replay the missed pass interference call on the Rams versus New Orleans? The money favorite is on yes. Absolutely. I mean, I was just watching the news about a half hour ago, and they were talking about it. <laughs> then it shows Roger Goodell at the podium, like, thinking, oh, well, maybe we can do something with instant replay. Like, I, I don't know about that. I mean, I mean, it, off the top of your head, you think, yeah, why not? But then you're thinking, yeah, would that really work? Right. You know, challenge penalties or challenge something that isn't called? I feel like game would take five hours. And it just but opens up a big can of worms. Right. So absolutely. Cause that, that, that makes such a huge difference. I mean, think about it. If it's the saints against the Patriots, it would be Drew Brees against Tom Brady. It'd be a huge, and then, you know, both quarterbacks, one's 41, the other's 39, two of the best offenses of the last decade. It would have been a huge story had it been the saints and the Patriots. So I think of course they're going to be talking about it. Almost annoyingly they're going to be talking about it to the point where it's like the Rams are in it. Talk about them now, please. Probably the very first time that there's a questionable call in the field, you go to that play. Yep. Say. Uh, the next one, we get into some of the announcer ones. Jim Nance will say, hello, friends, when announcers come on the air. The heavy, heavy favorite is yes. 
Yep, absolutely. And then uh, will Tony Romo be able to psychically call every single play of the game? <laughs> yeah, if only he had learned how to do that when he was a quarterback. Right. <laughs> All right, here's one. Um, over under two and a half, the number of times that Jim Nance and Tony Romo say Gronk. Gronk? Oh. Not Gronkowski or Rob Gronkowski, but Gronk. Okay, well, that depends on how involved he is because he hasn't really – he wasn't that involved that much against the Chiefs. So this is this is actually a really, really tough one because you don't know which Gronk you're going to get. Right. What was the over-under? Two and a half. Two and a half? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say over. I think that's probably the smart way to go. The over is a very slight favorite because you just kind of assume. I mean, three times in four quarters, like – have to be. Well, I didn't right? just picture him just being on to show up, just show a little bit of him on the sideline. They're gonna say Gronk, right, or something. So, yeah, I'm gonna go over with that one. Here's here's an interesting one in the same thing. Will Jim Nance or Tony Romo say goat? The favorite is actually no. They will not say goat in a reference, obviously, to Tom Brady, greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. Where do you fall on that? Or does it have to be goat? It has to be – it says GOAT. So we'll say it has to be GOAT. Not greatest of all time, but has to be GOAT. Okay, because I've heard Tony Romo say greatest of all time several times, but not GOAT. So I'm going to say blow. And here, and this is the thing, because here's the other one that I think Tony Romo throws the betting off of all this. Jim Nance or Tony Romo will say Hot Lanta. I think Tony Romo is such a dork that he will say <laughs> almost all of these things. And so it throws the betting lines off of everything because I just I can hear Tony Romo saying, Oh, Jim, you don't know what you're gonna get in hot Atlanta. Oh, you know, he's been Tony Romo's been all over the news getting so much media attention lately. I feel he's gonna go even over the top during the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> let's, think, let's think about it. This is the first time he's ever at a Super Bowl. <laughs> right. Ever. <laughs> so I think he's going to be going nuts, hopefully. I mean, I hope he does. I hope he puts on a show. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> All right. Here's a couple, um, not to get political, but they involve Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> but it actually, I, I mean, it, it's completely apolitical if, you're, if you want to believe me. Total number of times that Donald Trump tweets during the game, the over-under is actually one. So, does he tweet one single time during the game of the Super Bowl? I didn't. Uh, I didn't do my homework on Trump's history tweeting during the Super Bowl. <laughs> does he have a history of tweeting during it? Did he tweet a lot last year? Uh, to be honest, I didn't. I didn't look. I, I didn't do my research on this one either. Well, of course, we all know about his uh, his alleged bromance with Tom Brady. True. You know, of course, the last time they won the Super Bowl to the White House, maybe he might yeah. tweet about that. If the Patriots win, he better come this time. <laughs> so he, he might say that. So I'm going to say, or, of course, if, if something bad happens during the national anthem, right? something like that, he's going to, even if it's like a bad singing performance, he might say something. And so thing- I'm going to say at least once in a, probably a, between one to three. And the, and the thing, too, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be about the game. Like, it could just no, it be anything that he happens to, you know, tweet out while the game was going on. Oh, okay. Um, 
Yeah. So yeah. So like any, I mean, he could tweet, you know, to Netflix wondering uh, why Ted Bundy is so hot. It, it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. Okay. That I'm gonna say one to three. Yeah. Um, I would. I have to imagine yes. I mean, just, <laughs> it, it seems like he's the Tony Romo of you know tweeting of tweeting presence. Like he's a wild card tweet wise. You just don't know. He could tweet twenty times. He might not tweet at all. Um, here's a couple yeah. of, of interesting ones, and I think this is one actually that's it's done for every single president. What's going to be higher on uh, the day after the Super Bowl? His uh, rating, his approval rating, or the yardage of the longest field goal made in the Super Bowl? Currently, right now, he is at a 43%, according to uh, Rasmussen. Field goal-wise, the average since 1994 on made field goals is 34 yards. What's your take? Which one is higher? His approval rating or the longest field goal of the game? Hmm. Hmm. Has to be more than 43 yards or at least 43 yards. Right. Because you imagine by Sunday that's not going to fluctuate a ton. Right. Um, I'm going to go with uh, field goal being longer. I'd have to agree, too. You, know, you got Patriots. I, I, I can see that happening, especially like right before halftime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can just... see that I'm going to go with field goal. I'll go field. I'm going to go field goal too. And field goal is the slight favorite in that one as well. A um, couple more to the halftime show. First song performed by Maroon Five. Right now, the favorite is Moves Like Jagger. At a thousand odd, thousand to one odds, it's One More Night and Girls Like You. You've also got uh, This Love, Sugar, What Lovers Do, Sunday Morning, a bunch in there. Do you have a Do you have a favorite Maroon Five song? Oh, you're, you're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm the I'm kind of guy where you can tell me the song title and I'll say what, but then you'll play it and I'll know what the song right. is. Right. Oh, but I'm not sure. One thing I'll ask you about is will they put on a better performance than Justin Timberlake last year? Because I don't see that happen. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. That that was that yeah, was, that top was overall but, pretty good. Uh, Maroon 5, uh, what lovers do, I think that one, I don't think they're going to start off with that one. That's not a song I think that you'd start off with. Hmm. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I mean, for this one, I always pick wrong. I think you got to go something a little bit more upbeat. And so oh, yeah, I think grand entrance. I think that's why Moves Like Jagger is the, uh, the favorite for this one. Yeah, that one probably. Yeah, I could see that or Sugar because that one's kind of got like a little – fun upbeat thing to to get things started with um will christina aguilera make an appearance during the halftime show since she sang moves like jagger with her with him um and he obviously uh you know works with her on the voice it's i mean there's already two other big boy and travis scott are already going to be performing do you think christina aguilera makes an appearance Ooh, geez, I wish I, you should have told me to bring a quarter. I could just flip the coin. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with yes. Okay, the favorite right now is no. No? Yes. Wow, okay. <laughs> so, um, all right, we're gonna, I'm going to uh, come at you with these 
last few ones here, machine gun style. So I want yes or no. I'll, I'll kind of give you where, where the odds fall. Will any player do the Dirty Bird for a TD celebration? Obviously no. in uh, you know, a tribute to the Atlanta Falcons. No? Nope. No is yeah, no is the favorite right now at 250. Will any player do the floss for a TD celebration? Ooh. Big hit with the kids. Sure, yes. Fa- actually a heavy favorite for no, but I could definitely see the floss being something that happens. Well, I, well I've been wrong a lot of times. Right. <laughs> well, that's why that's no, why, why these not? prop yeah. bets are so much fun, because basically you're just like, you know, shooting in the wind. Well, well if it's a flossing, I think it would, it would definitely be the Rams. If the Rams over oh, yeah. the Patriots, I don't get a lot of doing the floss. No, the Patriots don't get to have fun. It's kind of like uh, watching no, the Russian Belichick hockey team. Like Belichick would say, "What was that?" <laughs> <laughs> um, the one that I always love, and I've never actually followed up to see what's right or not. The color of liquid thrown on the winning coach. So the favorite, oh, like is, the game. Yeah, so the favorite is clear or it's water. Um, purple is coming off at a thousand to one. Um, it's followed closely uh, at the top by green and yellow, green or yellow at three hundred. Red, orange, and blue follow that. All right, that just reminds me of when McCarthy got his. It was orange, I think. Mm-hmm. I but, think so. I'm gonna go with uh, go with red. Red solid, red solid Gatorade color. If I if yeah. I have to say so myself, um, all right. You too. Stuff that is outside of the Super Bowl but still Super Bowl related. Chris, the biggest one. You're picking. Well, let's before we do this one for the Super Bowl. Let's get a pick and a score. Oh, let me think. All right, I, I, obviously, I'm doing a one score game because this is a Patriots Super Bowl, right? I mean, yep. personally, personally, I, I think, I think LA has what it takes to beat them, but I don't think that they've been playing up to that level recently, and I question whether or not they're going to have the drive to actually, you know, get it done. So I, I picked right. the Patriots to win in a close one. I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go 38-31. Wow, you're doing a high-scoring game. I think so. I, I, I don't think it could end up. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's just shocking. You know, uh, the Patriots sixth in the league in scoring defense, allowing only 17 points a game. You have the Rams, who are second in the league in scoring, scored 527 points. That's actually more than the Rams that won the Super Bowl on the greatest show on turf. That being said, the Rams are only 24. Uh, 20th in the league in scoring defense, allowing 24 points a game. So I'm going to have to go with the Patriots, but I'm I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be 28-24. Uh, 28-24. I can respect that. To the- 28-24. Because I, I took a look, and the, the, uh, the Patriots' nine Super Bowls that they played in the Brady era, all five of their wins have come when they've had a top-10 defense. And when you take a look at the three Super Bowls that they lost, still two of them were still in the top ten. But the other one, they were out of it, and that was one they lost to the Giants. This year, they're seventh. So I, I still have to go with the Patriots. I don't see the uh, 
Plus, not to mention that the Rams, their offense has not been lights out this postseason, I feel. I mean, yeah. the game against the Cowboys was close. game against the Saints, of course, was super close. I just don't feel like the Rams, and now they're going up against the Patriots, whose defense I think is better than the others. So I think I don't see the Rams really lighting it up. I think it's going to be really, really close. Yeah, and I think I saw a stat somewhere, too, that in – playoff games where the Patriots are meeting you for the first time that season, they are 16 and one. Yeah. If it's the first time they're meeting you is in the postseason, they beat you and it's at a 16 to one rate. Um, Before we go, Chris, I think the prediction everyone is worried about the winner of the 14th annual puppy bowl. Now, so a couple of quick, couple of quick stats. Team Fluff has beaten Team Ruff the past three years, and I, I looked through the roster. It's a it's a up it's a a new roster for 2019. Tons of new talent. A couple of guys in there uh, that are playing through uh, some injuries. Couple of I think one guy had a prosthetic leg on there. Um, Lots of Chihuahua, lots of Terrier. That's really oh. where you want to go in this Puppy Bowl. Uh, you know, okay. the little smaller dogs, a little bit more active. They're going to be scoring more points. Does does one of the teams have a Corgi? There was no Corgi. There was There's no, no Corgi. corgi. It's, a lot of, it's a lot of Chihuahua. A lot of Chihuahua, a lot of Terrier. Terrier has been named the MVP four times in the Puppy Bowl. So it's heavy on Terrier. They need a Corgi. Corgi, uh if it was a Corgi, I would have picked that team no matter what. Corgis are the GOAT to me. So I'm going to go with the, the Fluff Dynasty is going to end tonight. And, and, and Team uh, Ruff is going to win it. Team Ruff. <laughs> I am also Team Ruff. I think that this is the underdog story of the year. <laughs> Forget what the Patriots are. These are the underdogs in the Puppy Bowl. Um, I also think I saw like a kangaroo and a penguin are going to be involved in the Puppy Bowl somehow. I don't know how. <laughs> But I'm so here for everything Puppy Bowl. It's, it's so stupid, and I love it. Um, all right. Well, make sure that uh, you're following us throughout the rest of the off season coming up. I'm glad that uh, we got to sit here, Chris, and uh, talk Super Bowl stuff, even though the Packers aren't involved in it. It's the culmination of – you know, the entire season. I wanted to call it the Super Bowl, but like everyone calls something something the Super Bowl of whatever. And this is the Super Bowl. And so it's uh, it's always a good time. It's kind of like Christmas or Thanksgiving. You can eat whatever you want and nothing counts against you. <laughs> uh, so hopefully you enjoy it. I know I'll be enjoying it. And hopefully also things thaw out by that time as well. Um, so, like we said, as always, thanks for listening to us today. Make sure you're listening to us every single day throughout the rest of the off season. Make sure you're following us on Twitter and everywhere else that you get the podcast at Packaday Podcast. Follow uh, Chris and myself on Twitter. Chris at Chris Schimmel, myself at DK all the way. Um, always appreciate it. And even though there's no Super Bowl or game being played on Sunday, we always finish with the best three words: Go Pack, go. Go Pack, go. Shotgun formation of third and 15 to the 46-yard line of Dallas. They empty the shotgun. Cobb in motion to the left side. Rodgers looks it over and gets the snap. Backpedals now under some pressure. Steps up, throws it over the middle. Cobb's 30. Turns up.
field, 25, cutting right to the 20, 15, 10, 5, Devontae Adams to the south end zone for the touchdown. Rodgers looks it over, starts to his left, now he moves, starts to the right side, snap to A-Rod, looking downfield, being flushed, rolling left, winds up, rainbows it high and deep into the end zone, it's high, what it caught, it is caught for a touchdown. One kick away from the NFC Championship game.